The adoption agency we were pinning our hopes on was based in Portland. It had offices in Seattle, and with the exception of a required two-day seminar in Portland, all the preparation, the paperwork, the intake interviews, the jumping through hoops, could be accomplished in Seattle. Once the two-day seminar was over, Terry insisted, we were never coming back to Portland, ever. Our agency did open as opposed to closed adoptions. In an open adoption, the pregnant woman, called the birth mother in agency speak, selects a family for her child and has a mutually agreeable amount of ongoing contact with her child, usually two or three visits a year, with photos and letters exchanged at set times. In an open adoption, there are no secrets. The kid grows up knowing he was adopted and knowing who his bio-parents are. Our agency was the first and still is one of the few in the country to do truly open adoptions. Since a lot of people were unfamiliar with the concept, and since some were spooked by it, the agency's managers felt they needed at least two days to explain how it all worked. It also gave the agency a chance to weed out couples who didn't get it. Since the agency placed more children than any other in the Pacific Northwest, couples who weren't into openness sometimes attempted to adopt a kid through the agency. These couples might come to resent or fear the birth mom after they got their baby and attempt to interfere with her right to visit or make her feel unwelcome when she did. The agency felt it was in the best interests of all concerned that the children they placed wound up with couples truly committed to the concept. So here we were, in Portland, checked into the Mallory, this fussy old lady of a hotel, ready to demonstrate our commitment. But if we didn't get out of our hotel room in the next 15 minutes, we weren't going to make it to the seminar on time, which would make a bad impression, which would call into question our commitment. And if we didn't get a kid out of this, the drive and the fight would all have been for nothing. But we couldn't leave, because my boyfriend had locked himself in the bathroom and wouldn't come out. Which was my fault. While I'd been right to stand my ground about blasting dance music in the car, I should have dropped it after I'd gotten my way. But I kept right on picking, making snide remarks about Bjork when we were getting out of the car and walking into the hotel. Had Terry won, he would have done the same to me. After monogamy and dance music, picking was our biggest issue. We both had older brothers. I was the third of four kids, and he was the second of two. Younger brothers are less powerful than older brothers, so persistence and stamina are our survival-slash-revenge strategies. Older siblings may hit harder, but younger brothers move faster, and we are relentless. And like all younger brothers everywhere, neither of us knew when to stop. We took jokes, wrestling matches, and playful fights past the point where they were fun or sexy, right up to the point where someone, usually me, got hurt. In straight relationships, the younger brother dynamic is sometimes present, but only when a younger brother is present, and most women date only one younger brother at a time. Only in gay relationships can two younger brothers come together. The younger brother dynamic was why, when the hotel receptionist asked us how our drive down was, I opened my full mouth and said, fine, except for the Icelandic lunatic in the car with us. I'd gone too far, and someone, Terry this time, got hurt. But I was not responsible for my actions. My birth order made me do it. From inside the bathroom, the boyfriend wanted to know why I couldn't let it go. He turned Bjork off an hour and a half ago. We weren't even in the car anymore. Why couldn't I leave it alone? It's stressful enough being in Portland at all, Terry said from behind the green bathroom door. He wasn't locked in the bathroom because he was crying, but because we were fighting, and when we fight, we prefer to have a door between us. A closed door. We have to be the presentable, non-threatening, happy, happy, happy gay couple in a room full of straight people for two days, Terry said. Why do you have to pick now to be such a prick? Because I'm a brat, I said to the closed door. I'm a brat just like you are. And what is this locked-in-the-bathroom stuff but your final dig? He didn't answer.
We gotta go be presentable now, Terry. Silence. I'm sorry I called Bjork a lunatic. She's a genius. Nothing. Honey, let's go get pregnant. You can name the baby after Bjork. Teach him Icelandic folk songs. I don't care. Still nothing. Finally, in desperation, I lied. You can listen to whatever music you want in the car all the way back to Seattle. The door opened. All was forgiven. We met right after I turned 30. Terry was 23, but told me he was 24, thinking the extra year made him sound more mature. I was in a gay bar for the first time in three months. The end of a particularly rocky relationship had kept me in my apartment for weeks, wondering why I'd ever wanted to suck cock in the first place. This relationship ended months before our lease expired, so my ex and I continued to live together. He worked through his grief by stuffing as many cocks in his mouth as he could get his hands on, and then coming home and telling me about it.